0: My journey as a Superman fan started with a tattered red cape blowing in the wind. That ending rocketed me forward like a red blue blur through a decade long origin story and poignant tales of self discovery and now fatherhood, and backward to the character's very beginnings. Now, on this podcast, we journey together across time and media to examine the stories that have defined the Man of Steel. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite A Superman Fan Journey. I'm your host anthony desiato this is the villain of the story part 1b joining me to discuss pre-crisis lex Luthor in tv film and animation is the host of the krypton report podcast returning guest tyler patrick welcome back
1: hey thank you for having me i'm i'm really excited to uh to talk about this i I like this idea of exploring more of the the pre-crisis lex and we'll get into it more but
0: yes and I'll peel back the curtain, full disclosure for our audience. My original intention, and you know this, Tyler, was for Uh Pre-Crisis Lex in comics and Pre-Crisis Lex in other media to be in one episode. I was going to have it be a double feature. So the first half would have been my conversation with Rich Roney, which people have now already heard earlier this week. And then the second half would have been what you and I are about to record now. But my conversation with Rich hit uh just under the two hour mark. So I was like, let's just stop it there. Uh, so we end See, up with an extra episode. Uh so this is part one B of our big event.
1: I like it. I get my own episode. It's cool. <laughs> no, I mean there's so much in the comics. I mean even from the incont the not in continuity, the uh the uh, I can't even think straight, not knowing the character spelling to where it was Luthor or Luth er um, until they were like one day, like, guys, we got to get this down.
0: <laughs> you know um, what? Uh, two things. A, I, for all of the pre-crisis Lex reading that I did, I didn't even notice that. I'm sorry to say, but that actually leads to a question that funnily enough, like, didn't come up in that, in those two hours with Rich. So let me ask you, when you're, when you think of Lex, when you're reading the comics in particular in your head, is it Luther? I mean, spelling aside, but pronunciation, is it Luther or Luthor? To to pronunciation, it's all er, Luther. Same. You know, um,
1: spelling us. I mean, my name is Tyler, okay? L-E-R. But I've seen people say my name's Tyler and it's L-O-R. You know, Um, recently on Disney Plus, we watched the Monsters, Inc. show uh, and his name was Tyler Tussman, but it was spelled the O-R. So, you know, it's one of those things. It's the English language. We just spell it how we want and pronounce it how we want. Just if you've ever had to explain the English le- language to like grade school kids trying to teach them, you'll realize how stupid it is.
0: Yes, I can I, I definitely <laughs> appreciate that. No, it's just funny, though, because when I think about various adaptations, I feel like a lot of times, especially maybe older ones, you did hear Luthor. It's, it's like there's a harder, like, Luthor, Mr. Luthor. Luthor. Like, but I mean, you know, look, you know, and the audience knows how formative Smallville in particular was for me. And that was seven seasons, well, 10, because they continued to talk about him even after he left <laughs> of, of Luther. So I think that fi- like, the finally cemented that in my head, I think.
1: Well, I mean, it goes to, you know, in Supergirl and in Smallville, it's Kara. Kara. Yes. Kara. Then we get to Supergirl the series, and they're like, Kara. And I was like, what? So. I never got it, used to that. No, and i i use them interchangeably sometimes and i don't know for you like i always heard wonder woman's mother's name as hippolyta yes and i've always said it hippolyta but then you know people said it hippolyta and it's one of those things like i don't know what what my pet peeves are (laughs) it's like if you hear something a certain way and then someone says it the other way you're like "Mm, mm -mm, mm Even if they're not wrong, it's just one of my weird pet peeves that I have. Like when someone says Hippolyta, I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. it's Apolita. Uh,
0: listen, and I'm, I'm with so. you. I'm with you. Now, one question that I did ask Rich that I want to ask you, I'm asking everyone who I have on for these episodes. I've been describing Lex in in my introductions and and uh, show notes as Superman's ultimate opponent, um, but obviously Superman has other other adversaries where where does lex fall for you is he the ultimate opponent or is he up there but th- there are others who can can kind of give him a run for his money well i think lex
1: is the ultimate opponent because it goes back to th- the name superman you know when they argue like what is a man who is a man um he is you know lex often you know uh, i think one of the best examples of the conversation is an ultimate or all-star superman when lex talks about you know, getting to a physical perfect perf, uh, perfection performance in his mind and that he, you know, is a man, a human man who has elevated himself. Um, but I think Luther, he doesn't come from other big bads come from different facets of Superman psyche. Um, and usually to have powers that kind of rival on a physical sense, Luther has that ability to be that schemer that who can outsmart him in a deceitful, diabolical way who can, use public opinion because Luther oftentimes, and I think the best Lex Luther is when he is seen as the hero by so many people, but Superman knows the truth, but he, you know, even as Clark, as a journalist, he's trying to prove it. And so in a way he's foiling Clark as much as he's foiling Superman. And that's why I think, you know, he is the best because, um, you know, he always like one of the best is in, uh, you know, Lois and Clark when, Lex boasts about people looking up at him. And then at the end, Clark just hovers above the tower and is like, all you have to do is look up and he flies off, you know? And, um, you know, even like when Lex became president, that sleazy politician that just slipped through, you know, Superman slash Clark's fingers and he's, and he can never prove it. And I think it's a, it's a different kind of foil. Um, and even the fact that he's a scientist. Lex is a scientist and that's Clark's one side of Clark's lineage is from a family of scientists. And even then like um, one of my favorite examples, real quick, since we're talking other media is in Superman doomsday. When you have the juxtaposition of Lex talking about how, Oh, I cured cancer. Let's slow this pill down and make it a lifelong treatment. And then you cut to Superman. Like I can't figure out how to stop human cells from metastasizing. So you see this, that he's trying. And of course, the Superman figured it out, he just here it is and how Lex uh, deforms and, you know, the, the, the beauty of the science from where Clark's you know, family comes from of about giving it to the people. So I think in, in many ways, Lex approaches Clark and Superman as a villain.
0: Beautifully said, man. I, I think you've made a very compelling case. Uh, I was I was already on board with Lex as the ultimate opponent, but I think you made a great case for it. And especially that that note about uh, sort of the the perversion of of science and Kryptonian science, and yeah, you, know, you see that again most recent more more recently in Batman v Superman with the creation of the quasi Doomsday creature. Uh, very well said. So this is kind of a funny episode because so we're going to be talking about. You know, I mean, most if not all of the of the depictions of pre-crisis Lex um, across other media. Because we talked about comics already. Uh, and, but what's funny is that th- this might this <laughs> episode might almost feel like a, a bit of a, a teaser for other episodes because pretty much everything that you and I are going to be talking about, I have full on deep dives planned for the future. And at least one of them involves you, so like we're going to talk about the the 1950 uh, Adam Man versus Superman movie serial with Kirk Allen, and you and I, and I have didn't... an episode planned oh. on that where we'll go all in on the on the movie serial. So you know, as we talk about these various things, again, we're focusing primarily on Lex, but just to give you know listeners a heads up that there's a lot more planned with virtually everything that we are going to be talking about in this episode.
1: I I, I think it's cool. It works. It works as like a teaser of like, hey guys, if you like this, just wait exactly because i mean lex is a complex character and i mean especially because we'll get into it more here but just the pre-crisis era because so many of us have grown up with such great depictions and story and in other media of the post-crisis lex and usually if you say lex luther that's what it is so to, to go into this angle it's a little bit more of like Do we like it? Do we not like what? What is it that we we connect with in this version? You know
0: exactly. And people heard this already in in part one A of this event, but you know it was really eye opening for me in a lot of ways to to dig into the pre crisis comics because I had read you know very little, and certainly I had never done a a full on deep dive into the Lex centric story. So I'm coming into this with a different perspective than I would have had even just a couple of weeks ago. So I agree with you. It's very fascinating. So we'll talk about that 1950 Adam Man v- versus Superman uh, movie serial. We'll talk about the Filmation cartoon from the 60s, Super Friends from the 70s and 80s. Of course, the Gene Hackman incarnation from the Donner movies. And we'll talk about the Superboy TV series, which, yes, I know technically aired post-crisis, but was very much in the pre-crisis.
1: Mode. Oh, yeah. that's. I think that's where I'm, I don't want to say I'm most excited to talk about. Um, Um, I agree. (laughs) So, and I I don't want to spoil anything. So we'll we'll get there. And I I mean, I'm sure that, uh, Gene Hackman will be referenced and brought up, you know, somewhere in this conversation.
0: Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, and of course, you know, we've, we have talked about the Hackman version when we did our Donnaverse event. So we, you know, we have covered that on the show. So yeah, I think, I think there are definitely other pockets here where, where, where we'll spend more time, but you know, before we even talk about those depictions of Lex in, in the, the series and and, uh, and movies that, that I just referenced. I'm also curious about where Lex doesn't appear pre-crisis, right? So he, he is in the newspaper strips, but very curiously, and I don't know if you have any insight or any theories, but not in the radio show, not in the Fleischer cartoons, and the most baffling one to me, not in the George Reeves TV series. The Reeves TV series is
1: the one that I'm the least like not a why not. But then I think back and I haven't like, okay, dropping some news here. Okay. A future episode. We're working on it. We're going to build our own Superman timeline. So we're doing like, oh, we think all these events, you know, if we had to plot it on like one, like 40 year lifespan. Um, so we've been doing some reading and research and stuff. And I haven't put exactly yet when Luther became the dominant, like that's the nemesis, that's the adversary. And I think that maybe we hadn't gotten there yet. And we'll, we'll, why he's not with George. And I refer, I'm going to use the first names because sometimes I slur words and I don't want to think that I'm saying, you know, the Reeves Reeve thing. Um, And we'll get there when we get into the serials of why I kind of think that we weren't there yet um, with George but I also look at what Lex represents in the time periods. You know, this is the 1950s. What is America? We don't want to look bad on anything. Um, but at the same time, Luthor is primed for like that B movie villain type thing. So it's interesting. You know, it, it is interesting. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting if you think back, let's go to a somewhere not as far ago the 1990s when john wesley ships flash came out and they didn't want to do any of the big villains and then halfway through the series they started doing some villains because these new these concepts they had for tv just the show wasn't doing that well so they had to bring in you know captain cold mirror master uh the trickster yeah (laughs) so You know, I'm not sure, honestly, but it is one thing I would like to kind of dive into um, why that wasn't explored. But at the same time, who were Superman's kind of villains? Because the the TV show starting to like, um, you know, it's one of those sliding periods where I feel like sometimes the television or media is over here where the comics are here. So the media is about a couple years behind trying to catch up with where the comics are. So we are getting into silver age stories, but we're pulling golden age for our TV show. If that makes sense.
0: That totally makes sense because that, that period of time, I think the George Reeves show was, I think what 52 to 58 generally, I think. So So. that is that kind of nebulous period while we're kind of still technically, it's sort of that nebulous period between golden and full-on silver age. So yep. your your point is well taken, in that tracks. I guess the reason why I'm surprised with Adventures of Superman and people, you know, know I did a, a couple of massive episodes on this a while back, and I'll revisit it again in the future because I man, I fell in love with the George Reeves show, but it's just so you know because they were so limited in terms of what they could do on screen, it feels like Lex would be a, a perfectly, you know, in keeping with the show right. adversary. And and if there's one thing that I wish the show had been able to do is is to have recurring villains, any yeah. kind of serialized plot line. Not, not that I would expect it, you know, to the extent that we get today, but even even if Lex popped up once or twice a season, like it just, and we'll talk about the serial, but the fact that, lex was in the serial so there was a very recent precedent although maybe on the other hand maybe that made them less likely to do it because they felt like they they had already been covered i don't know well
1: we we, uh it's been i think two years maybe now time you know we had covered the kirk allen first serial episode and the george reese first episode and they're very similar yes they are very similar and you know thinking about also on the production side of how they shot um Georgia show. Maybe having reoccurring villains wouldn't work because of the shooting schedule and style. Um, they had to do these one and done type things because for our listeners who hopefully have listened to your episode, um, they would shoot multiple episodes in a day because they would just go to one location, say like the Daily Planet, they would shoot scenes for like a couple of scripts that all take place at the Daily Planet. And they would do that at the different locations and then they would edit it together later. So they were shooting, you know, more than one episode at the exact same time. Um, And that, I mean, that could be like if episode a had the, you know, Luther that they didn't, you know, shoot because of scale. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there as a thought.
0: Yeah, no, but again, I just, I think it's interesting. Of course, we're going to spend our time on, on where Lex does appear, but I was just thinking about, you know, that these instances, Famous ones where where he's noticeably absent. I guess the radio show is another one where it's surprising given how long it ran like you would think that at some point they would do it now I'll, I'll be honest when we talk about gaps in Superman fandom, the radio show is definitely still one for me. I've listened to the the first the first telling of the origin nothing else I have what about you?
1: I've listened to a handful of episodes like I used to have a a job where I drove a lot. And so when I was driving a lot, I would listen to a lot of podcasts. I would listen to like the radio show that they even had like a podcast feed for all that was the radio show. Yes. And I enjoyed it. Um, but it was also weird because like you had to get used to the, the commercials and everything that happened um, in the radio show broadcast. So I've listened to some and it's another one of was like, I found some more to listen to and it's um. It's fun, like it's 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 a different kind of medium. Did, did you ever listen to any of those new Batman ones that they had done on HBO Max? I have not. I did like the first three episodes, and it was it was cool because it was really done in that style of being a radio show, not an audio drama. So it was neat. Um, but yeah, as far as another gap in fandom, um is the radio shows and I hope to one day you know kind of close that gap as well as I'm in the process of closing that Superboy gap
0: thanks to be to be man I don't know that I'll ever get them as a sponsor but we sure do plug them enough yeah to be now has emerged with all four seasons of the Superboy TV series and it's if if there's one thing that will guarantee mm-hmm. that something arrive on a streaming service it's that i buy it on on dvd because not too long i guess it has been a year at this point but about a year ago i did go out and i bought the four seasons of superboy on dvd because i was like i don't know if and when these are going to pop up somewhere and i want to make sure i have them and season one in particular is increasingly hard to find and expensive so i was like let me just make sure i have it and then recently they all popped up
1: i bought that years ago just because on that when superman returns came out thing um but yeah it's the same thing like it was weird because like with lois and clark you could find season one easy yeah but the other ones i had to track down and i want to buy the super Bowl on dvd because certain things i want the physical media um but with to be just real quick like it's now has i was looking on it it has the old shazam it has the uh like legends of the uh, that special the legends of heroes or Oh, it's that weird special they did like in the '60s or '70s, where they had like all the different uh, live-action heroes, where Adam West and Burt Ward popped up again. Okay, Batman '66 is on Tubi, so like all that stuff that I've complained about that was taken from DC Universe um, as a you know, miraculously appeared on Tubi, except for like the '90s Swamp Thing show. So
0: yeah, listen, if anyone listening to this has any in at Tubi. <laughs> I think there's a prime opportunity for a sponsorship here. Anyway, so well, let me just ask this one final, I guess, big picture question before we get into the specific depictions of the ones that we're going to talk about. I mean, maybe we can put the Gene Hackman on aside or maybe not. I don't know where you land on him. Uh, who is your which which depiction in these pre-crisis iterations resonated with you the most? Did you feel represented the best of of Lex pre-crisis?
1: I felt found- uh, lyle talbot to be probably the most interesting yeah oh, okay from
0: the from the serial
1: yeah and i think that's because i have watched a handful of the serials some of them out of context because you're like what was what, this one on and then i'm about to watch them all because you and i are gonna deep dive and i bought the dvd set and that's one of those things i've been wanting to buy um but there's something about his calculating coolness but also like he was pre-crisis but at the same time i feel like he was an inspiration for post-crisis because there's some resonance in there and we'll we'll get there but i liked him a lot and um i can't wait to touch on sherman howard
0: (laughs) yeah from from the superboy show that's i so i watched in order essentially so the superboy ones are freshest in my mind but even if i had watched those weeks ago Oh, they'd be right there. They really made an impression. Not a great one, but they really made an impression. (laughs)
1: Um, I watched, so I watched, my wife had never watched any of the serial stuff with me. And so she watched when I watched the serial, we talked about it and she was enjoying it. And then on the, the Lex episodes are on the last disc on the DVD set. There's like a little small documentary thing that we watched too. And it was really, it was really neat to just kind of see more of, you know, the history of the making and what the serials were and things like that. Um, gotcha. I, I really, there's, there's, his Lex is interesting. I, it's the forgotten Lex, or it's probably the number one forgotten. And then number two is um, Scott, you know, Scott from Wells Super- from the first yep. season of Superboy. Yep. And then number three will be Sherman.
0: It's interesting you say that. I was thinking that about Lex, but also about the Superman and Superboy actors. I mean, you know, a lot of times when you see these lists, if if there's someone who's omitted, it's usually Kirk Allen and or yep. the you know one or both of the actors who played Superboy. So yeah, so it's interesting to talk about both of these in the same episode because yeah, the movie serials and the Superboy show definitely get overlooked more than I feel almost any other adaptation of Superman. Uh, I
1: just want to do this quick. Uh, tidbit if you didn't know um i had a couple years back the honor of uh interviewing jim hambrick from the superman museum he was actually really good friends with kirk allen to the point that kirk allen was the best man in his wedding and kirk told jim he's like don't let people forget me because you know he was looked at as the forgotten superman and i uh here it's behind my monitor i have a you know i I tried to have a picture in my superman room of every superman and i have a you know a a production still of kirk um because yeah like he he is forgotten and you know my dad saw my george reese oh the first superman you know me actually dad no
0: yeah no that's the thing and and look is kirk allen in my top three superman actor list no but the thing that I, I appreciate, and more and more as I do this podcast and, and I dive into things that were largely unfamiliar to me, including the serials and including the Superboy show, these, you know, these iterations that, that, that came first or broke new ground, you know, you have to give them credit for, for being there. And it's, you know, it's hard to create something out of nothing but you know, once that's there, yes, it's easy to look at it and be like, oh, they could have done this, they could have done that. Subsequent iterations can improve upon what's been there, but you do have to give respect to, to that foundation. Look, the the last Superboy episode that we'll talk about is called Mind Games, and Lex and Superboy get trapped in a mine with kryptonite. Does that sound familiar? It sure did to me when I read the description, because that's one of my favorite episodes of Smallville from season six, Nemesis, where the then, same thing
1: happens. Or or what about the episode of The Batman, where the Riddler and Batman are trapped in a shipping container underwater and have to reconcile and get out? You know, like, it's a very great bottled episode. Like, hey, guys, we need an episode. We got Zero money. What are we going to
0: do? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I so even if even if there are <laughs> areas in which I, I feel th- these depictions fall short, I appreciate what they did and when they did it, and and what they were able to provide for for subsequent uh, you know depictions to to flesh out. You know, so mm-hmm. with the serial, so I just will start there. So that's that's the first you know, the first live action uh, incarnation of Luther. He's still not even Lex at this point, but he's, he's Luther. Right. And like I said, we're going to do a deep dive. We're going to watch both. We're going to watch and discuss both of the Kirk Allen movie serials, Superman from 1948 and Adam man versus Superman from, uh, from 1950. So they were each these 15 chapter movie serials that played at the movie theater before the, the main feature. And, Lex or Luther uh, appears prominently. Uh, is he's the antagonist in the adam Man versus Superman serial? Now, full disclosure: I have not done my full watch yet. So I just watched the first chapter of adam Man versus Superman, which was Superman flies again, uh, and then I also watched Chapter Eleven, Luther's strategy. And Luther was portrayed by Lyle Talbot uh, in in this. So he so he was your favorite of the ones that we that we looked at. Yeah, because he, you know,
1: we see him like operating on a desk in an office. There's a seriousness to him, but, you know, we also see him in a lab. And, you know, for the most part, Luther was just a mad scientist. You know, we hadn't gotten developed really into the business mogul that we all know. So I watched it and I was like, huh, I could see where maybe I, I have no proof on this, but, you know, john Byrne saw that or something and was like lex is a businessman like you know and it just kind of stayed in the back of the mind but there was a there was a seriousness in a here you go you'll like this he remind me of mr potter
0: oh you know from it's a wonderful life yeah exactly you know what oh it's funny you say that okay so This was not my favorite version of Lex. I felt that he was too serious and too flat for the most part from what I saw yet. And we'll we'll get here shortly, but you know, uh, the Sherman Howard version goes way too far in the other direction. So there's definitely, there's a, when you put put those two as a,
1: yeah. And, but I think I just found him a little bit captivating because of that. Do I feel like the tone of his performance fit perfectly with what they were doing in the serial no, I, I think the serials had a, a more lively tone. Um, but there was something about that performance, I think, is what to me felt like. That's where the character's going like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like if you were reading the book, like you're, you're like, oh, this is a good way to do this character. Um, But, you know, I mean, we have years. It's the first portrayal, but it takes years for us, I think, to flesh that out. But he he just kind of gave me this a little bit more Mr. Potter esque vibe. And uh it just made me kind of chuckle because I know your love for It's a Wonderful Life. And I I love that movie too. That's why, you know, I bring it up is I got the, you know, the uh I have a Christmas decoration that says it's a bell and it says, you know, every time a bell rings, angel gets his wings. And then I have the Hallmark George Bailey uh ornament. So, you know, it's it's a classic for a reason.
0: There's a a town in upstate New York that bedford falls in the movie was was modeled after and they have an it's a wonderful life museum and they do a big celebration every year it's about i don't know it's like four or five hours from where i am but that's one one christmas season uh, I, I will have to go because i've been watching this movie every year <laughs> religiously for most hey, of my life
1: i had to edit my own version together and i i, I, I call it i pulled a wizard of Oz <laughs> you know like to emphasize like you
0: know right when what the bed. all right so we have a little guest appearance by tyler's daughter you take care of what you need to we're going to take a quick commercial break and we will be right back acme comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in greensboro north carolina for people of all ages and walks of life since 1983 this nine-time eisner award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available they pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back issue selection. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available and all offerings are available to anyone anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay. Listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey city Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In The Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you and we're back so let me let you finish what you were saying about your your fan edit of it's a wonderful life
1: i just wanted to drive home george's you know importance so i basically i said i wizard of oz did like right when clarence says you've never been born i i used the colorized version and as soon as he said you're never born it cuts to the black version and then right when he's like please god let me live again it goes back to the colored version just emphasizing how dark the world is without george in it it was a fun thing to do
0: yeah, no, I dig it. Well, so when I when I sit down to watch Adam Man versus Superman in its entirety for our upcoming episode, which people will hear not too long from now, it's not too far off, I I will keep Mister Potter in mind, and maybe that will allow me to enjoy the Lyle Talbot version. I, I will say I, I didn't. It wasn't like I intensely disliked his version of Lex. I felt like it was a very kind of like. Solid. It's a one
1: note it's a one note character
0: yeah that's I mean, fair it, but like a it really solid is. like down the middle like there was nothing you know nothing extraordinary about it but it was a, I it think was a solid and look for the fact that this was the first jump from page to screen you know it it he, he felt for the most part in keeping with the you know the, the golden age iteration of the character i mean the the first mention of him in the, in the first chapter, you know, he had already been established in this world, right? Like, they all know who who Luther is. Mm-hmm. Superman's, you know, nemesis and this mad scientist. I, th- I think the first uh, device he creates is a teleporter. <laughs> Very Power Rangers-esque. <laughs> he's like, uh, <laughs> he's got the that little, uh, little teleporter.
1: Yeah, there you go. It makes you wonder if in the original intent was his name going to be Luthor. Like, that's his first name, like Luther. Right. You know, maybe, I you know, I, I, uh, I've often joked, like, the name luther or Luthor, you know sounds like lucifer like i used to pick up my mom because she but i like that name luther i'm like lucifer she's like shut up tyler um and it makes you wonder if there was something like that was gonna be his first name and then a writer or someone along with just made that the last name just because of how they just you know affectionately refer to him as Luthor as uh,
0: you know just a a name so right yeah i don't know but so he again is very very dead serious in this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's no real flair. He's very, very flat. I, I guess was that was the word yeah. I, I, I kept coming back to. But in terms of the the title of this, right, Adam Man versus Superman. So, and again, I've only watched two out of the fifteen chapters, but I, I got the gist that he's he's created this Adam Man persona who's who's plaguing Metropolis, and he's pretending that he's trying to help against Adam yep. Man, right? So, kind of to your point, you know, it doesn't go as far as what we would get in Post Crisis, but this idea of him pulling the wool over people's eyes and being seen as somewhat of a hero to the people is, you know, I I think does plant a seed for what would come later. I think you're, I think you're onto that.
1: And like I it's, it's an interesting for, if you're a fan of the character, a performance to check out, to just have that, like, you're not, cause it's nothing great, but it's enough to see that spark that, Oh, this is just something different. Um, Nothing that's going to be crazy, like I'm not, you know, but there's, a, there's a definitely a difference in the portrayal of the character.
0: Yes. And, you know, for anyone who, I mean, I'm sure most people listening to this show at, at least have a passing familiarity with the Kirk Allen serials. But in case you're really scratching your head, this is the one, you know, these are the serials famously where when he takes off in flight, he's rendered via animation. So we mm-hmm. haven't gotten to the point that we would with the George Reeves show where it's very rudimentary, but. At least it's still George Reeves, uh, you know, yeah. with, with this flying effect. So, I mean, I know up until now, now that I have the the DVD of the serials, I mean, in the past, I think I only saw clips in documentaries and behind the scenes yeah. specials. Like that was really it. That was my sole exposure to the Kirk Allen stuff. I sought them out at the library and I was on a waiting list for a long
1: time uh, for them. And then I got them, but I didn't have enough time to watch them all. And then when they came on DC Universe, we started kind of watching. It was one of those I had, you know, the serial Superboy and the Adventures, kind of like these default shows. I was kind of making my way through all three of them, and they were just things I hadn't got to be really exposed to. And I, I'm right there with you. It was, it's oh, it's an eclipse, or like you know, especially that uh, great documentary that look up in the sky from 2006. You know, hits on that. And they're just, they're not easily available. Yep. I, you know, so that's, that's, I think one of the hardest things about it is you know, for a while I could be like, Hey, we could, we could plug DC universe for people to check it out. Now it's like, look for clips on YouTube, check your local library, you know, see where you can find them at.
0: Yeah. I look, I, I complain about this every other episode, it feels like, but between, between the, a lot of the pre-crisis comics and, and and uh again the the kirk allen serials the superboy show it's i i just i keep coming back to this idea that just from a from a historical perspective it's like this is arguably the most iconic recognizable global fictional character and there's so much that should be preserved and and made available charge people for it. make money people want to give you money for this stuff take their money it's like (laughs) it drives me
1: nuts It's kind of like, you know, if I discover, say, a new band, you know, or like they're coming out with a new album and I learn that they had a couple albums already. Okay, well, I'm going to go back and check those out and kind of get an idea of who this band is. And, you know, there's been people I've talked to who like a band, but only like them from like that album that they break with forward that never go back. And to me, that's not doing the band justice. That's how I look at the character. So I'm only going to start here. Yeah, maybe maybe I fall in love with this character here, but I'm gonna go back and see the journey and experience what this character's been through and where they come from, to at least have an understanding. Um, you know, maybe that's not my favorite version, but at least I was exposed to a version of the character from a previous time before I met the character.
0: Yeah, totally. And uh, in fairness, I mean, the the Kirk Allen serials; those are currently available on DVD. I don't think it's out of print. I mean, I was able to get it not too no. long ago, and it's only like twenty bucks. So, I mean, it's a that that there's a very low barrier, you know, to entry for that one. So if anyone's curious, and again, heads up, we're gonna be doing a full episode on it. So maybe uh, if it's something that you've ever been curious about, now might be a good time. So, is there anything else that you wanted to say about the Lyle Talbot version before we jump to animation?
1: Nah, we'll, we'll talk about that when we when we get there with the cereals and really eat the meat, you know? Right on.
0: So yeah, again, final thoughts on, on the Lyle Talbot. It was definitely interesting. I appreciate what they were able to do for the first on screen depiction of Lex. I was not, I was not blown away, but in comparison to what we would get later on in retrospect, actually was pretty good. (laughs) So when we get to animation now, I had mentioned the Fleischer cartoons earlier that those of course did not feature Lex. I'm, that was not as surprising. The, you know, that was so so early there, in Superman's history. There's so there's, few of them.
1: Yeah, there is nothing that in those that really. I think the the robots that he fights kind of come up in like wink nod comics throughout history. Like people like to throw those in. It's just kind of a a nod back to that. But yeah, there was nothing in those that was really a villain. And you know, the more we talk and the more I think about it, I think most of his rose gallery wasn't there till silver age other than luthor and it makes me want to do a little bit more research of the prominence of the character leading to the silver age so
0: yeah no right on so we get to the 60s and the filmation animated series the the new adventures of superman how much a part of your fandom has has the filmation cartoon been for you
1: i will say zero um, because I could never find it, and it was one of those. It was one of those that was weird in the sense because when you did see packaging, like, like th- for example, the the Fleischer are in the public domain, and I think everybody sold a copy of that, and it was always repackaged with different uh, cover art and everything. And you know, it's uh, you'd end up buying it like a couple of times because you thought it was something different, and the the filmation stuff just kind of blurred with the super friends and it wasn't until of course later with the internet and the, you know, being able to look back and figure it out. I found the DVDs and um, I, ironically, I can't find my DVD right now. Um, I think it's in one of those, the boxes. Of, um, my kids mess with my stuff. We moved, but you know, they think it's funny. But it was one of those I really didn't have as much exposure to because in my mind it just blurred with the Super Friends, mm-hmm. and even as we get to with the Super Friends, like just going through how they're packaged on HBO Max, you'll see shifts in changing in the seasons, the style, the shows, lengths, the that you know it ran for a long time, but it really changed itself as it was going, and I look forward to. Much like when you did your Ruby Spears thing, like I had bought that on iTunes a few years back because I I saw the DVDs at Target, didn't buy them, went back to get them, they were gone, had an iTunes gift card, you know, got them just to have that part that I wasn't familiar with. And the reason why I didn't buy them when I saw them is because I was like, is that one that I already have? They just repackaged it, Um, you know, of course I did some research. So yeah. The filmation cartoons didn't play the role um, in fandom, but they're so, they're another part of that gap. And it's kind of exciting. I'm with those out there to still have something to be intrigued by with the character that I haven't been completely exposed to. So to say like, hey, I got a few, you know, I'm going to watch all the George Reeves straight because I know there's hit and miss I have rewatching all the serials straight. Going back to the filmation cartoons in the suit, like that's it's exciting because it's something I don't have the complete history of um, even with all the knowledge and watching that I have done.
0: I know, man. Like, that's the crazy thing. And I don't know what people think as they're listening to this, but it's like, these are, we are two Superman podcasters. Now you've been at your show a lot longer than I've been at mine, but you know, two Superman podcasters, fans for decades, you know, we've read and watched so much stuff, but it's such a rich and vast mythology. Like there's still, even for us for all the time we've devoted to this, like there are still things to explore, but that makes it fun and and exciting. I don't know, you know, we might not be doing Superman podcasts. It were not for, for all of this. I mean, you could still find other angles and, and things like that, but Uh, that was what excited me about doing the show in the first place was like, man There's you know, I could you know, I could talk smallville all day long But like there's so much other stuff. It's like, oh, you know, and and now this is an opportunity It forces me to finally get into it
1: I'm gonna jump on that bandwagon as we move along because I got some more things to say about that excitement You know that you speak of right on
0: I'll say for for myself for filmation Not not entirely dissimilar from you with one exception and someone out there would probably know what I'm talking about. There was at least one VHS compilation mm. of the the Filmation cartoons, and I remember. I mean, I have a vivid memory of renting them from a local video store. Shows my age uh, when I was a kid. And it wasn't a blockbuster. It was like a local, like mom and pop, mom video, and pop video shops store. are awesome. Yes, throw that out there. Yeah, and. And so I remember, I remember it was on Central Avenue in Hartsdale where I grew up in, in New York. I remember it, it very specifically. And I remember that theme song and the, it's Superman, su-, like that's ingrained in me. But, you know, until the viewing that I did for this, could I have told you much else about it? No, I really couldn't. But I at least, I at least had seen some on VHS and I remember it had, And I've seen people writing about this online, so clearly this made an impression on a lot of kids. The VHS, at at a minimum, had uh, the Parasite episode. And it wasn't the Purple Parasite. He was like, I don't know, like a circus strongman or something like that. Like he was just a Mm. guy. And I still remember that. Um, So again, I have some memories, but it's, it's not something that I've ever really gone back to until now. I don't know that I would do... A full on podcast episode about it. I know Dan Greenfield from 13th Dimension, who's been on the show before, he loves it. So I know he's was- game to do it. I probably will. I might do like a segment. I don't know if I would do a whole episode. I don't know. But uh, it's, you know, they, they're out there. They are on DVD. I have the same DVDs you do that's um, uh, essentially th- they call it three seasons, but it's collected on two sets. And it's a total yeah. of 68 episodes, but each episode is six minutes. Yeah, it's, which it's, it's, which is great. <laughs> I le- I very much appreciated that aspect of it. I mean, look, I love I love to settle in and and watch a you know a twenty minute or a forty minute whatever it is, but uh, you know just in terms of time and, and attention span, especially with these pretty you know, pretty simple '60s cartoons, it was nice that they were you're in and out in six minutes.
1: Yeah, I mean it, they were made for children, and they're they're cool to just kind of watch and. It's funny in the sense of that's how they did cartoons. Then it evolved to what we had. And now it's kind of gone back to that where they're like 10 minute episodes of these cartoon shows for kids. And we're complaining about like, oh, why is it so short? You know, but it's like, that's how it used to be. But we we grew up in the age of like the best, (laughs) like complicated structure and storytelling for, you know, cartoons that were worked on multiple levels i think that's why they endure but that's another whole
0: rabbit hole well said man so the filmation episodes specifically my voice cracked there it still happens even after all these years still get those cracks every now and then yes
1: <clears throat> you're like um <clears> then you gotta say something a little manly like yeah
0: <laughs> as a uh, filmation cartoons <laughs> so, so filmation the episodes cartoons. so
1: doing a little dean winchester on me yeah. Ugh, Filmation cartoons. sammy
0: sam <laughs> Dean. All right. Uh, <laughs> Tyler and I are both also big uh, Supernatural fans. So we we have a lot of fandoms in common, obviously Superman, Supernatural, Power Rangers. And uh, I'll talk about that more when we get to Super Friends. But anyway, so for Filmation, so Luther makes, a, you know, a, a bunch of appearances, but he's not, it's not like an every episode sort of thing. But I selected four of these six six minute episodes for us to talk about the deadly dish, which I believe is his first appearance, creates this device that can shoot kryptonite rays at Superman, and he he uh, <laughs> he disguises himself. As a a professor giving an award, a journalism award uh, to the Daily Planet staff and hypnotizes them to be in in certain places at certain times so that his weapon can power up uh, in the amount of time that it needs. Luther strikes again where he kidnaps Jimmy Olsen and takes him to this paint factory and and again tries to use kryptonite on Superman. And kind of Luther changed his spots. That's a two-parter. So at that point in the series, they were doing these these two-part episodes uh, where, again, I mean, not unlike what we just talked about with the movie serial – we have this, this plot where Luther pretends to have gone straight and he gets a job as the science editor at the daily planet. And Jimmy Olsen is very suspicious. So those were the, the four that we looked at. What was your take on, on either the episode specifically or just this, this depiction of Lex? Well, I couldn't find my DVD. So I just read the descriptions. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> and
1: it, it kind of really, was, I'm one of the people like I like to know where my stuff is. Like I hate, like, <laughs> where's my stuff? Um, I think I know where it is. I just haven't had a chance. I think it got mixed in with some of the kids stuff that's still packed up uh, because I have so much stuff and they like to mess with my stuff that the moving process was not the best last year. Um, I, I found it interesting like you about the whole editor of the daily planet thing. Like it's interesting how much Lex is not taking seriously. Like, He doesn't have this pristine image, I feel like that that being the business mogul comes with.
0: Right. He's
1: just this smart guy. But even then, like, even though he's super smart, I don't I don't think anyone holds that wisdom, that's that brilliance at a high uh, you know, ability. I mean, I think about the time, like, you know, mad scientists were like the default B movie villain, you know, and that's kind of what he was. He wasn't like the scientist that you're like, oh, he's a scientist, man. He's he's smart. He's good. It's like you said he's a scientist. You're like, whoa, what's he doing? You know, is he is he crazy? And it's just a very interesting kind of he's not, he's this guy. You know, he's kind of this name recognized. He's, I mean, you have the icon, the iconography of the bald head. That just immediately says Lex, recognizable person, recognizable villain. And he's smart. And then you kind of, he's a scientist and you kind of mad scientist, you know, do what you want with him. And they have some fun stories. Um, It's always so, you know, it, it's difficult as a fan to watch these in the way of like, there's so much that post crisis, especially with Lex just drilled in your head. Um, and that was probably one, of, that's one of my biggest issues with, uh, hackman and we'll, we'll talk about that you know is but yeah i i could ramble but it was it was fun it was different you know it's almost i don't i don't want to say he's a throwaway character but it doesn't feel like he's yet to be the the ultimate
0: nemesis that he will become i i think that's i think that's you know it's interesting especially having just looked at the comics i mean i Although it's it's funny because I purposely read a selection of Lex-centric comics. So, you know, in my mind, it's like, yeah, he loomed very large in pre-crisis super myths. I just yeah. read all the Lex stories. But yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, and I guess, you know, it'd be interesting to hear from other fans, especially if you grew up reading those stories, you know, sort of where you placed Lex. But I do, I agree with you. I think that it really is not until, and we're going to talk about this in the next episode, but I think it's not until you get to that post-crisis version where, he is the hero in the eyes of the people, and he's challenging Superman in a different. It's still that intellectual battle, but it's it's now it's not that Superman's capturing him. like in the pre-crisis comics. It was a running gag almost. It's like Lex at the beginning of the issue was always breaking out of prison, right? So it's like yeah. Superman catch him, bring that him he you know breaks out. Now it's like Superman can't get the goods on him. He can't yeah. bring him to justice the way that he's used to. So it's challenging Superman in a much different way, and I think that that elevated the character in a way that yeah i agree with you i feel like he doesn't have the weight or at least in these few that we're talking about here that he will have later and i think that's probably a big reason why i think you're on yeah i think you're you're right on with that you know yeah uh so with the film the formation cartoons again it's probably something i'll get into more in the future they're very they're very simple the animation and i don't i don't say this in a derogatory way but it's It's very basic and and kind of rudimentary. You know what it almost reminded me of? Like a motion comic in a certain way. It was because it was not like the animation was not very involved or dynamic. It was very static. So it almost looked like still images and then they would move a bit. I mean, that's probably underselling it a bit, but that's kind of what it made me think of.
1: It's kind of, I mean, if you look at film, I'm trying to remember my history of like, where filmation touches with like Ruby Spears and Hanna-Barbera and like, cause you know, like you had people crossover um, cause it wasn't one of them drawn a blank created Scooby-Doo. And of course went on to be Ruby Spears and everything, but look at just how the comic, like you'd have a cell for a while, the same shot and all you would move is like their head or something, you know, and it kept the, and once again, we've gone back to a lot of that, of how we do cartoons with very simplistic movements compared to the more complex stuff. Um, so I definitely get where you're coming from with that idea of like the motion comic. Um, and you kind of inspired me just now, just, just throwing it out there. Um, it's always fun to try to find something on the show to like as like a comic term backup. It might be fun to like since it's only six minutes to just use every episode. Of like, all right, we're gonna go through the filmation maybe episode by episode, or just, you know, I used to do this when I did the, uh, the Fleischer, I'd watch it. And then I'd pull up my phone and get my kids reaction. So I might just kind of go through those with the kids and just get like a quick comment, quick thing. And just kind of insert in episodes, you know, just to kind of knowing where your hero comes from kind of thing. Like, Hey, this is how Superman was a long time ago. What do you guys, what do you kids think?
0: Yeah, no, I, I like, yeah, I know there, maybe I would do something like that. I, again, I'm sure I'll revisit Filmation on the show at some point. The, I guess the last couple of things about Lex specifically, the disguises did make me laugh. I mean, they're kind of silly, but they're, you know, it, it.
1: They're kind of like, he's like, <laughs> like, you know, kind of idea that I have in my head.
0: Yeah. You and, can't catch me, Superman. Yeah. And, you know, so the disguises are funny. He always uses a a, a name that's an anagram of Luther uh, and Superman's usually able to, to figure that out. And the episode where he he kidnaps Jimmy and brings him to the the paint factory. That was funny because Superman realizes that the lead paint can protect him from the kryptonite. So he dips himself in the paint. So that was a a fun, a fun little payoff there. Uh, (laughs) It's so funny now. It's like lead paint. No, I I know it's horrible. Superman's like, dang it. I know. That's what I was thinking of so, But, you know, again, we're going back to the 60s here. So so again, I mean, I think a pretty again, a classic depiction of the character and kind of on that note, this is what I wanted to say about Filmation generally. You know, the the, the Fleischers were, I mean, gorgeously animated. But again, there's there's only a few of them, and uh, again, those two were short, and you know, didn't. I mean, we did have the Daily Planet and and Lois. You know, we you know we did have some of the, the supporting characters, but not to the extent that we would have on Filmation. And certainly, soon enough, we'll get to Super Friends. But that that's an ensemble, and it's not like. Clark and the Daily Planet cast get much play. They get some over the course of the series, but that's not the focus. And, you know, we're still decades out from the Ruby Spears cartoon and then the the Bruce Timm show of the 90s. So, you know, I look at the filmation and it's like this was a full-on dedicated Superman show, 6 minutes, but still, and you got the core cast and you got a number of the classic villains. So, you know, it earns it earns its spot in the in, yeah. the, in the in the canon. you look at the
1: culture of the time you look at the style of cartoons at the time you know it it fits in perfect for what was going on i mean it's just like you know filmation when i hear filmation all the time I think about the 80s and the he-man series you know because that was a big thing and you go back and watch that and you'll see like
0: the lower production budget you know Mm -hmm. so yeah and oh, and then it you know it was very much like the the Fleischer in terms of the 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 voice actor playing Superman right and the whole like this looks like a job for Superman like you know was you, it
1: you, it was Danny Dark wasn't it who did the filmation, right he did
0: Super Friends okay I was trying to remember so I'm not positive about I have to double check about uh, filmation.
1: Yeah, have this magical thing this magic brick here I'll, yes I'll, <laughs> I'll check this out. <laughs>
0: So while well, you look that up, uh, no, it
1: still was Bud. It Collier. was still Bud Collie.
0: Okay, you know, I was, I thought that was the case, but I was like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want. Like I
1: said I didn't get to watch him, so um, I couldn't remember. So yeah, it's still Bud, nice. which is an amazing voice for Superman. I mean, that's the voice of Superman. Like if you're listening and you're not watching live action, that's the voice because he did the radio show. He did the the Fleischer. There's not a lot of dialogue in those, anyways. And, you know, here, so. Yeah.
0: Now, very true. So we moved from the 60s into the 70s and 80s. And since we're still talking animation, let's we'll jump over the, the, the Gene Hackman version for a moment and we'll go to Super Friends. Now, the first episode of this podcast following our big Lex event that we're in the midst of now is uh, a deep dive into the Superman-centric episodes of Super Friends, and I already recorded it, and it was so much fun, because talking about gaps, like that was a gap in my fandom. I had seen very, very little Super Friends as a kid growing up, so uh, that was a ton of fun. So that's coming up. That's a big episode coming up right after this Lex event. Uh, But you and I watched, again, a handful of lex centric episodes uh history of doom where we get a telling of lex's origin that's straight from the pages of adventure comics and i i like that
1: you know because i guess one thing i like about pre-crisis superboy is it was created written a lot of it was written by jerry siegel um not all of it's credited to jerry siegel and that's a whole nother conversation about how they did dc did him dirty Um, At the time. And so a lot of the Superboy stuff came from him. And a lot of Superman's common elements that we think about, especially um, now I'm drawing a blank man, put me on the spot, came from Jerry, but came through the Superboy comics instead of in the Superman comics. Um, There is a great episode of uh, of a podcast that I listened to Bob Fisher did called um, Superman forever. Uh, He hasn't put out an episode in a long time, but he would go and do these history type lessons. And um, it was really interesting to hear some of that, you know, the past golden age, early silver age knowledge. So I like that, but on that same note, (laughs) this is straight from the comics, but at the same time, not a huge fan of the idea, of, you know, because <laughs> the history of Doom, Lex is like, you know, oh, Superboy, let me help you. I'm Lex. Superboy's like, wow, you have a lab. Let me fix this up for you. You know, and he makes this awesome lab. Then Lex is screwing around and Superboy's like, what's going on, fire? And he goes, to this help Lex. But by blowing out the fire and everything causes a chemical reaction, Lex loses his hair. Then he's like, I hate you, Superboy. You made me lose my hair. I will get revenge. And at the same time, Lex is holding this bottle where he cured kryptonite. Right. He's like, you will not get this cure for kryptonite I invented for you. Ah. And I'm like, you dedicate your life to mass murder and killing people because the dude tried to save you and you lost your hair. All right. It's kind of thin. No pun intended. But, you know, that's your uh,
0: motivation. Okay.
1: But it was cool to see it, you know, just straight from the page animated.
0: I like yourself, I've never been a huge fan of the way that that Silver Age origin plays out. However, and I won't go through the whole thing because I talked about it in the last episode but what I've come to appreciate is I really do like when there's truly a personal grudge and animosity between the two of them a personal history, a personal relationship and this I think goes back to what I was saying before that you know this this first iteration of it is not, particularly compelling through modern eyes, maybe for kids in the sixties, it was like, Oh, this, you know, I I can't believe it for, you know, for now, for us now, you know, it doesn't resonate in the same way. But then again, I look at what Smallville was able to do and how they took the germ of that idea that these guys were friends and that friendship fell apart and took it in a completely different direction. And it's my favorite incarnation of the character. So, you know, there's something to be said for that. So I can appreciate the foundation that was laid here.
1: I think it's also I've never been a fan of Clark Kent full-on costume superboy going around doing everything. I think it, it i understand why they did it, okay, but you know, I like this smallville idea of Clark doing stuff, but being hidden, keeping himself, you know, quiet, not wearing the costume. And that leads to his journey and the ascension of. Putting himself out there in the costume as Superman. There's more mythicness to that. Also, if you're any type of reporter, you could figure out who Superman's is because you just trace the adventures of Superboy. And I've often made the joke of like, when did he switch? Like, when did he wake up one day and go, Today I am Superman? And like, hey, Superboy, no, it is Superman now. Okay, Superman. You know, it's like Superboy officially changed his name to Superman. Like, was it his 18th birthday? Because if that's the case, the Superboy TV show is really out of trouble because, you know, but anyways, (laughs) like, you know, it's like today I am a man, mom. I am Superman. Okay, honey, here's your cake. Go to school. Mom, take me serious. You know?
0: Well, not not to give another tease, but I've mapped out a lot of next year of this podcast and we're going to be doing a huge Superboy event. And I might even rope you into some of it. We'll talk off mic. I'm but but uh, so I'm going to get into that. But I, you and I are very much like almost entirely on the same page. That's always been the issue that I've had with Clark operating as Superboy, because and look, and I've talked about it but when we talk about the origins, like that moment of deciding to step into the light and to become Superman. I mean, that's. One of my favorite parts of his journey, and I feel like it's just completely undermined if he's already been Superboy. Yeah. But at the same time, I appreciate how the Superboy comics like introduced so many aspects of the character that I love. Yep. So I'm so yep. so torn. It's like very confusing.
1: Yep. <laughs> um, that's why I'm like that was you know that was Earth one. We're good or Earth two because this Golden Age was Earth two and you know all that fun stuff. Um, but I totally agree because it's comics. But yeah, I. Like, my son hates when it's like, it's Superboy. That's not Superboy, Daddy. That's Superman. I know, kid. Okay. But, you know, it's called Superboy. Cause he's like, no, that's not Superboy. I'm like, all right, get off my back, man. I didn't, mean, I'm not the one who did it. <laughs>
0: So jumping back to Super so this Hanna Barbera ca- uh, cartoon series from the seventies and eighties. So we looked at History of Doom, which again gave us Lex's origin straight from the comics. Lex Luther Strikes Back, a very Lex-centric episode where he breaks out of prison. And we're now, I mean, you know, and we can get more, you know, specific with each of these. I just want to give a quick rundown. Uh, you know, this we're now very much in the in the mold of the the Gene Hackman version. He's got his sidekick, he's got his lair. I mean, it very much feels like we're we're in that in that realm uh revenge of doom oh i had not actually this was actually one i had not watched when i did my forthcoming super friends episode so this was interesting where the legion of doom uh returns and reunites and they take back their uh their their headquarters and launch their attack uh no honor among thieves where lex now in his green war suit uh teams up with Darkseid. And the case of the shrinking super friends where the heavy hitters of the super friends go out into space on a, on a rescue mission and the junior members are left behind to face off against Lex and his shrinking Ray. So, so first with super friends, just generally, I mean, how big of a part of your fandom was, was this?
1: I had a t-shirt and you know, it's one of those things that I, I knew of it, but I don't ever remember watching it because it, it's like once something aired, that was it. You know, every, like if it didn't make some sort of impact, you know, like, like example, Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo was on TNT or TBS all the time. Like in the mornings, you know, before Cartoon Network, there was a time before Cartoon Network. And I feel like that was the only thing you really knew about Hanna-Barbera cartoons for me growing up is because TBS showed Scooby-Doo and you didn't get a lot of rerun type cartoons on Saturday mornings or whatever. Um, so it's one of those, like you kind of knew of, cause like you heard it referenced or saw like the superpower toys, which are kind of based off this stuff. Um, and it wasn't, you know, I had, like I said, I had a t-shirt and it wasn't too. And I think, I think I saw a DVD I watched, but I, you know, it's like, I, I remember the cover, but I don't remember the story. Like as a kid, you know, so like, it's the same thing. Like I remember watching the, um, Scooby-Doo meets Batman and Robin episode, where it was, you know, Batman and it was Adam West and Burt Ward-styled uh, characters, but it was still Casey Kasem. Um, so the Super Friends kind of fell there. You know, it wasn't until later when we started putting everything on DVDs that you could start to mine this past and really, like, dig into it. So it, it didn't really play a part of the fandom because I never had the opportunity to
0: explore it. I, I hear you. I I mean, I remember watching reruns on Cartoon Network as a kid. Occasionally, it wasn't like oh, I'm gonna. There's another voice crack. It wasn't like I I was you know glued to the TV when it came on. It was just like occasionally I, I would see it.
1: When Cartoon Network started, it was like there was a handful of originals and a lot of Hanna Barbera, and they just that's what it was. Um, so I I could see where that was. I didn't have cable for a long time. My mom didn't believe in it. Side story. My dad would get deployed. My mom would cut the cable. So when my dad was home, wasn't always long. We'd get cable. So we didn't get to watch a lot of Cartoon Network until we were older. Because um, my mom was like, we don't need TV. It's <laughs>
0: probably
1: why I watch a lot of movies. But
0: Ah, so. gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So so again, for me, I'm now a recent convert to Super Friends. I really enjoyed the viewing that I did. And, and people will hear that, that whole episode. But... I'll give a preview of it. One of the things, one of the the things that I realized in that episode and and we talked about briefly and you'll appreciate this is that looking at super friends and it's, it's this team of do-gooders with largely interchangeable personalities. There's some distinction between the senior and junior members, but otherwise you could pretty much give anyone's lines to any character. So largely interchangeable, but they work together. They always win up against these colorful villains and usually each season or show or so we get a change in lineup and title. And I'm like, I understand why I like this so much. It's power Rangers. You're like, huh? Wait a minute. I've seen
1: this before, but in the future, this is the past. (laughs) See what you did there.
0: Yeah. So I had that realization. I, I was like, Oh, okay. Like I get why this is appealing to me even now as an adult, because I have all that love for power Rangers, which I know you share. So I yeah, I do yeah. Well, speaking of which, we'll give a plug to the Krypton Report Patreon because uh, I was fortunate enough recently. You had me on to talk about our our shared fandom of uh, specifically Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and it was so much fun to talk about that.
1: The Zordon era—that's what we called it.
0: Yes, the Zordon yeah. era. Correct.
1: Yeah, it, it's it was a blast, and it's something that I don't to talk about that much anymore. So it was it was fun, like talking about it with you, and like wanting to dive in, and you know it's funny because you have a young son and I have young children that when I watch Paw Patrol for the, for example, color coded everything. And then they constantly are changing it up. And I'm like, it's the power Rangers model all over again.
0: Yeah. I can't tell you, I know this is a bit of a tangent, but bear with us just for another 30 seconds. People. I, uh, I, I, since I did some rewatching for, for your show, I, uh, and they're all on YouTube. So like every now and then I would just kind of pull out my phone and I would pull them up and watch an episode. And I showed my son cause he loves dinosaurs. So I, I specifically went, I mean <laughs> yes. any, any of the calling of the Zords, but I specifically went to the pilot where Zordon is explaining what, what color and, and Zord each one gets. And he was like so into it and he had already had a power Rangers book. Uh, just a little children's book and you press the buttons and you know, they, they play some of the music and stuff like that. Uh, and he liked it before, but now he's been way more into it since he's, he's seen a little bit of it. So, Oh, what a, what a proud moment. Very, very excited. I hope he You're hope like, he stays interested in, the, in that. Yeah.
1: Get you in the feels like, yes, I, I it's like you've done something like I've done something. Yes. Because in one, in one birth, you're like, I want my kids to do their thing. I'll support them. But the only thing is, like what I like so we can share this child. <laughs> you know, Come to me and say you want to watch Power Rangers. I will like, you know, I'll be like, what? You want to watch Power Rangers? Kick up the TV. But you know what? You know what those chores you had? Nah, let's watch this.
0: That's the thing. It's like anything he, he ends up getting into, like dinosaurs. Man, I've learned so much about dinosaurs that I never knew. Where Maybe I did and I forgot. I've, I'm, I've learned so much. No,
1: nothing was more impressive than when they had a dinosaur thing in Columbus and uh, my sister-in-law and her husband at the time. And my mother-in-law took my son. He had to be five. We'll say about four or five. Um, and they're walking around. They come back. They're like, yeah, we were looking at this one dinosaur and we were like trying to figure out. And he goes, it's office And that's a <laughs> um Pachycephalosaurus. And they're looking at him and he's just walking around like, and he does this thing where he's like, and this is blah, blah, blah. And I know this. And we were at the store at Walmart two days ago with my buddy. And we're walking through, they have all the Jurassic Park Dominion toys out. And he just starts naming some of these other dinosaurs, like these huge names. And I'm just like, that's my boy.
0: Yeah, it's, it, and it's amazing, like what they, what they retain. I know it's really incredible. Because uh, it's like, we all know Triceratops, but did you know Monoclonius? Did you know Pentaceratops? I, I do now. Some of them, I, I swear though, some of them I'm like, are you just making stuff up? because like, I'm like, th- I'm like, where, where, where are all these species coming from, people? The, I mean, I know where this is really a tangent, but hopefully, people are still here. The, the hopefully, th- they're cheering us on. Like, exactly, where I, are all these dinosaurs from? Well, that's I think one of the biggest things I've, my biggest, one of my biggest takeaways with all of this dinosaur business is just any variation is an entirely different classification. It's not just like, oh, it's a tricerat. I mean, well, try is three. Maybe so that, it's a,
1: but, a deformed triceratops or. You know, something like that. Nope. Whole new species.
0: Yeah. There's some at the, the, the final thing on this tangent is at the Bronx zoo. Currently they have this really, really cool dinosaur exhibit where they're like they're life size and they're, they're animatronic and they're, it's really cool. Is it
1: the Jurassic and, quest?
0: No, I think they just call it dinosaur safari. Okay. I think it's what they call it. But uh, so we've done that once we'll go back, but oh man, it was, it was really cool. And he was, he was into it he was a little scared though because he's never seen them like that so right because uh, we've done like there's another park like a like a state park uh, that has a dinosaur dinosaur exhibit but they weren't that large and they didn't move so this was a whole other level but it was it was fun it was really fun we'll go back
1: this right. concludes the dinosaur section of our podcast that you could probably edit into its own podcast yeah <laughs> welcome, to, <laughs> welcome to our special patreon about dinosaurs. Uh,
0: I feel like any any parents hopefully will uh, will likely identify with that, or maybe you're just a dinosaur fan yourself. So with these Super Friends episodes and this version of Lex, I mean, I don't, what 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 takeaways did you have? Did you like what you saw? Did this? What, I thought what, what it was he was he was fun, but I
1: I loved in Luther Strikes Back where he switches places with Lois yeah. and Superman's like, let me use my sight to see. That's really Lois, and you know, like they a mask. I'm like just a mask, and they were like, it's Lex Luther, and Superman's like, nope, nope, it's Lois. He's just a mask. Nothing else is different, but I thought that was hilarious. And then the no honor among thieves. I love because it's a classic Lex Luthor trying to overthrow dark And I thought that was just like, we see this in comics now. And in like, we just reviewed Neil Adams, the coming of the Superman and in it, Lex tries to trick dark so just seeing that it's, it's always kind of been there. I think in a way it's Luther's ultimate goal is to be the Supreme being, but um, you know, he, he takes dark side and he's like, I am Rex Luther King Rex. And I'm like, okay. Um, and you know, dark side, he was about to turn into a transformer, which was pretty cool. But I thought what was interesting in that episode though, is the Stargate. Yes instead of a mother box. And then I thought, when did mother box come into play? I thought mother box in the Like I started like questioning my knowledge of the fourth world. And then he says, I'm going to send you to the jungles of apocalypse. I'm like, when did apocalypse have jungle? Wait, what, (laughs) what is going on here? Um, but they were, they were fun episodes and it was definitely more of the, if you look at Lex as like this duality of the upfront businessman, you know, and then sometimes he's the villainous rogue. uh, in the suit type thing, this is definitely hitting that, that perfect point of the, in the suit villain aspect. And it was much more on brand for Lex than what we had before. It was, it was very, it was fun. It was enjoyable um, to see him where he goes in these episodes.
0: Yeah. I have to say, and I know maybe Gene Hackman changes this equation a little bit but I would say that in looking at the comics, which we did in the last episode, the the Lexor storyline where he's on that this planet that worships him, I mean, those definitely stood out to me among the pre-crisis comic stories. As far as these other media incarnations of Lex, I know I asked you at the top, you know, which one of these was your favorite. For me, I I I think I would say that the Super Friends iteration was my favorite because I, I think Sweet Spot is, is exactly the right phrase. I mean, this sort of... I feel when I think like quintessential pre-crisis Lex now, I probably do think of him in the purple and green jumpsuit. I don't yeah. necessarily, my mind doesn't necessarily go to the green war suit and that's where I feel like we cross a bit of a line. Like him in the in the purple and green and he's more active and also physically, you know, we also see a shift here in Super Friends because in... In the earlier comics, and then even in the prior adaptations we talked about, his legs always bald, right? But, well, except in the, the earliest comics appearances, but, you know, he's always bald, but, but usually on the, on the slightly like pudgier side. Yeah. And he's here, more rotund. Yeah. And like here in Super Friends, like there's, there's a, a, a physicality to him that we hadn't really seen yet.
1: Um, he always kind of reminded me of like a Winston Churchill look, you know, if I had a, you know, he like point like a historical figure out for it. Um, So, yeah, this is definitely where we're shifting Luther is. It also makes you like think of the times of what, you know, you would think Um, there's that great Alex Ross Luther painting where he's more of the rotund Luther.
0: Yeah, and we'll go. And that's the funny thing. I mean, we'll go back to that. Post crisis, before we get to Lex the Second, the the clone that oh. he poses as yeah. his own son. But you know, so we'll go back to that. But there is this period where, uh, again, there's this increased physicality to the character and this you know very identifiable, iconic purple and green uh, ensemble, which I feel like again really is very very iconic, very iconic, like a very quintessential representation of the pre crisis version of the character. And you get you know you get that here. So I mean I, I agree. Yeah, uh, I mean it's, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that really.
1: It, it's kind of hard, you know. It's it's nice to see the little points and the story beats, but I mean, it still is like quick, one-dimensional type character, simple good versus evil storytelling. Like we're not really building like this complex to really dive into a you know a performance or a structure. We're just kind of like, oh, Luther's bad, yeah, but like, how are they depicting his bad? You know, like you just said, they change his physicality. Um, you know, what type of plots is he into? And like, even in the Super Friends, it's still an ensemble because Lex is, you know, popping in with Dark Side and the other members of the Legion of Doom.
0: Yeah, which I guess two things. I think that's that's why I like Lex Luthor Strikes Back so much because now the the Legion of Doom has been dispatched with, and we're and now it's it's just Lex in that episode. So I I, I did like that aspect, but but on the note of him as the leader of this group, again, you know, I know you and I would just we have that post crisis version, you know, so so ingrained in us. But you know, you can't help but think. I mean, he's running it like an organization. Right. Mm-hmm. So, again, you start to see maybe some of those seeds that would then become the the, the full on businessman in the in the late 80s and 90s.
1: Mm hmm. I, I
0: agree. Yeah. And again, again, that episode, Lex Luthor Strikes Back, that, you know, that, of course, was after Superman, the movie. And so now you do you really do start to see more of the influence of that
1: there. I think it's time we just touch on Gene. We
0: got to. You what's know? what's your take, man?
1: I, OK. So my wife and I were talking about this when we were watching the serials. I was like, "Do I like Gene Hackman's Lex, or do I just like Gene Hackman?" And I kind of felt like um, I gave you major plugs for how you described, you know, the Superman being the God among men type things compared to the man with godly powers. And my wife, like, it clicked for her. Just like, if she, "Yes," she's like, "I agree with that." Like, she's like, "That makes it so much better." of an experience with these characters and you know we're talking she's like i don't like gene hackman and i said and we were just kind of talking and i was like yeah you know the thing is that was before post-crisis where that's the lex that everyone identifies with that's the lex that you know that you are a fan of and i thought about it more and i talked i was like you know what i like gene hackman i like what he's doing but do i like it as lex It's, it's, it is it's good pre-crisis, but at the same time, it still feels like a little weird. You know, he's underground. He's uh, just criminal genius, but yet he's, you know, underground doing his own thing. And had that been the same version with a different actor, but Hackman leans so much a charm of just himself into it that you just kind of like, I like it because of him but do i like that version of lex um not really i mean there's no wrong answer to this but it's just kind of it's out there you know but he is more of the mad scientist um that more of this time of just being like he's just a scientist like a evil genius um so
0: I I think you summed it up well. I I think that's probably how I I guess I have pretty mixed feelings about the Gene Hackman Lex as well. And you know I, I talked about this when we did our Donner episodes. I mean I feel like, I guess not 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 dissimilar from what you just said. Like I like the way he's used in those movies, but yeah. it's still not my definitive version of the character.
1: I, even in a pre-crisis. I wouldn't put him as my definitive version.
0: No, no. I mean, honestly, I feel like the, yeah, you know, like the Super Friends version is, is more in line. I mean, well, it's funny because you say, you know, mad scientist or scientific genius. And I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, he's more of the, like, like, like you said, the criminal genius, the strategist. I mean, it's funny enough, in Superman four, the quest for peace, I think that's where you see the most of the scientific mind when he's yeah. growing nuclear man in the sun. I mean
1: And I'm trying to look at, you know, Superman <laughs> one, two, right. and yeah, four, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> all of Hackman's performance. But yeah, that's where he does more of the mad science. You know, the first one he's more of just a criminal genius, uh, you know, mastermind manipulator, which is an aspect of the character. Um but yeah, I mean for all of the the grounding that Superman, the movie tried to do, it's interesting how comedic Lex is.
0: Yes. The charm and the comedy definitely run counter to all of these other depictions that we're talking about. And I I talked about this last, last time in the, in the the pre-crisis comics episode, but I think one of the things that I was most surprised by in reading a lot of those pre-crisis stories was how how personal a grudge it was between Superman and Lex. I mean, I guess I had kind of had some general sense of that, but I didn't really know how it played out. And I got to see that. And and, and I really came to appreciate it more because I think in my head, I always sort of was kind of painting with a broad brush and kind of looking at the way it's presented in Superman, the movie in particular, where it's like Superman in his way. And yeah. I kind of always wow, that's what it was like pre-crisis. But reading those comics is like, no, like these guys really <laughs> like really didn't like each other. And so I feel like that's what's missing in yeah. in the Hackman version. It's that you don't really have. There's, I mean, they're at odds. Like they're, you know, they have opposite goals, right? And they're at odds, but they're not. I don't feel like no that history. personal exactly. You there, know,
1: you know, even even just the post-crisis, the way they try to create this grudge with, you know dean kane and john shea is per you know to build up something because that whole history had kind of the past Superboy boys stories was gone so to create this new kind of history um and i you know it's easier to use the live action editions because people can easily you know watch those than then read comics um you you felt something a bit more there than what i kind of get from the gene hackman version so
0: Yes. I, I, I think we've, yeah, I think I've sorted that. This was helpful. <laughs> I think I sort of sorted out like the way I feel about it. I, again, I think it works well in its context. He's a wonderful actor and it's a, it's a very fun portrayal, but yeah, I don't think it. And it, do, it really does, it's funny, it really does feel like an outlier because it, you're right. I mean, it's not really an encapsulation of the pre-crisis version, nor, nor, nor post. It's really sort of its own thing.
1: It's just one of those things where like, you get a character and like, oh, that's the character. But you love the actor so much that you enjoy it. But then if you just whittled the character, you're like, it's not exactly the character, but I'm loving this
0: actor and what they're doing. So but let's move on to the other one. Oh my goodness. Okay. So when we talk about gaps in fandom, the Superboy TV show is a big one. I will be closing that next year. I teased some Superboy plans and that's included in that. And I don't know, you know, fellow Superman podcaster, Sam Rizzo, who's the biggest Superboy fan. I know if he, if he happens to listen, I cover your ears here. I'm so sorry. as I know how much you love this show, but it's been a gap for me. And so these, these four Lex centric episodes that you and I watched are probably the first like full Superboy episodes I've watched. So this was a real eye opener. What about you?
1: I um so I every podcast I mention Superboy, I have to bring up Sam. I got to interview Sam a few months ago. Uh, we've talked online before for a while. I love his podcast. It cause it was such a gap. And my history with Superboy is I remember being at my parent, my grandparents' basement. And I just remember the image, and it was a season two episode because it's the image of Superman standing in front of the tank, and they shoot the bomb and it blowing up. Because I remember the coming on part, and I I remember always people. There's a Superboy show. And they'd always say, "No, that wasn't Superman four. because I feel like that movie was on all the time on like WGN or whatever, like basic cable. But I always like I swore like there's a there was a Superboy show. I know it. Like you mean Lois and Clark? No, there was a Superboy. Oh, and then when superman returns came out there was the first season superboy i was like i knew it i knew it and i bought it um and i had it and then i sold it and then i rebought it years later um and i oh, about two years ago i went through it was on dc universe and i watched all the first season because we were doing a segment where we would watch the pilot episode of every superman show and, and talk about it at least once a year and um so i watched all of that it was only um uh, and because you know the first season is like a self-contained because the second season is like a soft reboot straight mm-hmm. up um so i had watched all of that and it's harder to find the, the latter half so when it was put on dc universe it was exciting to watch and i started watching like i just started buying every now and then, like one or two episodes until DC Universe, and then I stopped. Um, so I had some grasp because I was like, I wanted to get you know Gerard, like uh, you know I had watched John Newton portray the character, and I was like, okay, so what did Gerard do differently? Because you know there are stories of Gerard um, being cast almost for Superman for Lois and Clark until they realized he had done Superboy, and then he was let go. Like, oh, you already did this. And, you know, fact enough, Gerard, when he portrayed Superboy, is the oldest actor to ever be cast in the role. He was 30 (laughs) when he was cast to be Superboy, compared to, like, you know, Henry and Brandon, who were uh, in their late 20s, and Tom, uh, you know, in Smallville, but that's a whole other story. You know, in their 20s, being cast as Superman, and here he is, 30, like Superboy. (laughs) <laughs> so um so I, I didn't i don't have any vast knowledge I, i've gained more just talking with sam listening to his podcast and then like i wanted to watch it all and then, and then it was gone and then you know recently it came back up on tubi so um when, when you decide like i've not watched any of season three or four until you gave me the assignment of the episode in season three which, in all honesty, knowing just how where season three goes, because I do have a vague knowledge that it changes. um This episode had nothing to do with that, so this episode could have been in season two, right? For all for anything, but
0: yeah, I'll. uh You know, I don't. <laughs> we'll talk off mic. I don't know how much because there's a hundred episodes. I don't. I don't know if I could do them all. I don't know. I can't binge them. I mean, straight up, like I'll
1: be honest, like. It's it's a very interesting show because it helps you understand the concept of serialized shows of when um uh, or not serialized um why is the word not ex- not coming but when they would make something for TV they'd produce it and sell it
0: um oh like syndic instant like syndication, first, first there syndication. Yeah. yeah
1: that was what it was it was a syndicated show where they would you know the soul kinds would produce it and that's important to realize is this was the kind of trying to get back in the Superman business, but they couldn't say Superman, so they kind of like fudged it with the Superboy being. Oh, it's the same character. Legal stuff. Legal stuff. Um, so they were just trying to produce something after you know they're like, well, we Supergirl fails, so we take Superman back. Basically, after the fail, of Superman four, we'll put it on TV. Um. So yeah, that's that's a quick kind of just knowledge of the show and like, i want to get through them all because there are some good stuff in there but i couldn't sit down and you and me and be like all right we're gonna binge this thing no, i don't man. know maybe we could maybe you and i could together because it'd be like we'd be feeding off each other's positivity and like when you're starting to be like ah, oh, i'll be like no we can do this man let's do this <laughs> like you know cheering because some of it is rough
0: i'm not gonna lie i mean that's- yeah i mean it's one of those things i'm sure as, as with any of these things, you know, people fall into, you know, one of a few categories. There might be some people listening to this who, who like Sam, you know, have a, you know, grew up watching it. They love it. You know, maybe others came to it later and, you know, either liked it or didn't. And then there are others, I'm sure who, you know, like, like myself, like really kind of just kind of passed them by and, and, you know, might not have a lot of familiarity with it, but it, you know, ran for four seasons, late 80s, early 90s. So, like I said at the top, this was post-crisis, which is so fascinating to me. It's like we have this huge continuity reset, right? In the comics now, Superboy's past, as, or Clark's past as Superboy is gone. Lex has been completely reimagined. And, and then we get the show, though, that's firmly in that pre-crisis world, so it's, it's it, it makes you tell
1: where the, where the salt kinds were with their production, what they wanted to do. And maybe they felt like that to do Superboy, this is what they had to do. Um, but I also want to say there's a lot of really interesting stuff in the Superboy series. Like there's an episode that features a young Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an episode that features the first film uh performance of, of Wayne Brady. The Sons of Icarus, I think, is the episode. Wayne Brady's in it. Very small. I don't even know if he has any lines. I think he has one. Um, so there's a lot of interesting. And my favorite that I, we get to talk about in this episode is it was directed by David Nutter. Yes. And David Nutter is known as the Pilot King because he sold a crap ton of pilots. Um, he's one of the few directors that has directed two versions of Superman. He did a handful of episodes. He this one and in the uh, season two episode one, of course it's Superboy. Whatever, same thing to me. Okay, still Superman. I give him credit. And then he would go on to direct the pilot for both Smallville and Supernatural. So I just have mad props for David Nutter as a director.
0: Yeah, and there were comic writers who you know who who wrote for the Their show. Own-
1: Right. It was the first time I think they acknowledged the comic book writers and brought in their ideas because, you know, so many times you hear stories like right now I'm reading through uh, Michael Usland's book, his second book, Batman's Batman. And he talks about how he actually championed for a while to get Jeff Johns to write some stuff. And they're like, no, that's the comic book guy. You know, and now Johns went on to have a great television film career, whatever. We could debate that, too, but whatever. Um <laughs> But the idea is, you know, people all, Kevin Smith has said it, where they'll be like, oh, those are the comic book people. We're movie people. And this was a show that actually pulled the comic book people over, said, hey, write us some episodes, do this. So it, it deserves a lot of respect in that area. And I'll shut up now. We can keep going.
0: No, no, your, your points are all well taken. No. So there's, I you know, I think there are definitely reasons if you're a Superman fan to, to check out at least some of the show and just get a feel for, for what it was. I mean, at least check out to get John's performance
1: and Gerard's to say, and I mean, let's not also like discount the, the one constant with Stacey Heiduk as Lana, who is probably the most comic accurate Lana Lang we've ever had. Yeah. Um, you know, red hair <laughs> and um, she, you know, she was the only one that was there for all four seasons and, you know, she does a great job.
0: She really does. She was probably my favorite aspect of, of what we watched. And, you know, she has a rough go of it. She gets slapped by Lex twice in these yeah, episodes, which rough, is, is rough we, in and of itself. But again, you know, you talk about the echoes of these things. I mean, one of the one of the pivotal moments on Smallville, especially when we're talking about the descent of Lex, is when he smacks Lana in the season six finale when their their marriage implodes. So,
1: yep, I still I still think they should have stayed married for a little longer. I just, I like the idea, the way that show was going. The idea that this is a Smallville tangent. Clark had kind of wronged Lana, and she was so upset, and she she aligns herself with Lex, and now he's turned two of his best friends against him by harboring this secret. Yeah, when you when you see the relationships with like Chloe and stuff, and Oliver growing because Clark shared this other side with him, but like this idea that the love of his life is now teamed with his best friend like i thought that it, it could have been a really good story vehicle because i'm like we know as fans like lana's not his ultimate in-game relationship um i just think it could have been explored better you know and then eventually like she has her star wars moment of turning back to the good side
0: um I, you know what i don't disagree with you I, especially since i was not you know, I was not tremendously impressed with season seven generally, and in particular with the Clark-Lana relationship. You know, they're finally together. She finally knows the secret. It's like, oh, yeah, this will be great. It, and it really wasn't. Like, they just replaced The tension it.
1: was gone. They like, just they replaced
0: just... the different angst with, with new angst. Like, I, I just, uh, yeah, no, I think I it would have been interesting if they had done something along the lines of of what you had suggested. So the four episodes of Superboy that we watched were <laughs> Luther Unleashed, which is the final episode of season one. And the show initially is set at Schuster University, and so we follow Clark and Lana and TJ White, the son of of Perry White, and they work for the the school paper. Is he? I thought he was the son, or was it the nephew? I oh, I thought I thought so. I could be wrong. I'm not. I'm not positive.
1: I could. I could be wrong too. I mean, it might after be. A maybe while, maybe
0: it. it was nephew. Uh, but uh, but so that's our initial setup, and then later on, yeah, you're right. I know the setting does shift, and I think they're working for some. Like they're working for a government agent like they're yeah. going
1: all X-files in the last two seasons.
0: Yeah, but so that's later on. Uh but in any event, so we watched Luther unleash the final episode of season 1, and then the first episode of season or the first two episodes of season 2 with this ring Ivy kill and Lex Luthor sentenced to die. So essentially we watched a three episode arc and then we also watched that late season 3 episode Mind Games uh where Lex and and Superboy are trapped in a mine with kryptonite and and like you said that really was very self-contained so it was you know, you didn't need to know anything about what was going on with the government agency or any of that stuff.
1: It's a great episode. If you just want to give someone like who these characters are in Superboy, it's a great one to go to your three, your three core characters are there. You get to see what Lex is like and you get to see what Superboy is like. Um, You know, with the Luther unleashed, it's interesting because Scott Wells portrayed Luther and he's very much an 80s, preppy pretty boy he looks like he would be best friends with zach morris yeah or they'd be they'd be frenemies or something you know um he's got you know slick back blonde hair very athletic uh you know the attractive handsome man kind of uh look and it it's interesting because the episode falls into back to that uh you know the Superboy pre-crisis uh origin where You know, Lex is kind of the whole season one. Like he's kind of a sign. Like it's weird because you never know. Like he looks like he's just kind of a frat boy for a while, but then he gets, he's smart and he's into stuff. And, you know, the storytelling is kind of all over the place, but he's in the lab. He wants to do something, you know, bad. And then he has a, an accident. He's saved by Superboy, And when he comes out, he's all happy. He's a good person. Like uh, he's, he's, Talking about how he likes Lana, and his friend Leo is there, and Leo is important. I think because Leo carries on, and we'll, we'll get there. But I think it's a very good sh- de- showing where the character goes. Like, and then like he goes, um, you know, he sends Lana flowers, and then it's like the next day he wakes up, he his hair's gone, and he's just angry. He's now mean. And um he just is going downhill like and like you said, he 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 assaults Lana, he um a very big kind of just change in who he is.
0: Yeah, no for sure. I mean, well, actually a question for you, because my understanding was in the first season where Scott Wells was playing the character, that he only appears like a handful of times. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So he appears a few times, and again, this was the only one that I watched, but yeah, I think your your description of him is, is spot on. And yeah, I mean, you know, once again, we have, uh, you know, we have a, a pull from the comics in terms of Superboy inadvertently causing his baldness. And this now, of course, again, in this version, he was already up to no good. It wasn't like this yeah. totally, you know, flipped the character, but this did really push him over the edge, you know. F-
1: if you If you were to watch the first season you got to this episode, it feels on point with the character, but at the same time with the the incident, Luther is like happy goodness. And then his like anger, it feels like it's like we're pushing the reboot button here. And I feel like even though like, I don't know all the history and like the timing of things of where they were going to shift to second season, but it does feel like you get a three, like you said, a three episode arc for Lex, with a few kind of out of alignment areas, um, like the way this, this episode ends is very weird to where the next episode begins. Right. But at the same time, you can see where the character through line is. It does work. Um,
0: right. So I have to say (laughs) though, was there any moment more dramatic than that, that scream that (laughs) that Lex lets out right before the act break, when he discovers his baldness, it was, uh, that's Scott Wells' uh Academy
1: Award uh, moment, man. That's that's his that's his on his highlight reel. He's like, watch this beautiful acting here.
0: You know, we now in two episodes, right? We've talked about this the baldness as the reason for really hating Superboy. I guess to what extent do you think of vanity when you think of Lex? Because I certainly think of ego, but I. I don't know. I mean, is he that vain that, that it's the, that the, the baldness puts him over the edge or is it more that he thinks Superboy did this to him on purpose? Like what's, what do you think really fuels him?
1: I think it's hard to, to discuss because we don't get a lot of background on Lex. I mean, the vanity parts really part of Smallville because you have the juxtaposition of Lionel with his lion's mane of hair <laughs> and Lex talking about, you know, being bald as a child, how, that made him feel like an outsider. He had to wear the hat. And it always was like a, a crippling thing that he had to eventually owned on himself um, that made him feel insecure. And we don't get a lot, but with this brief character, from him being in a live action role of the pretty boy with the hair, very, you know, like I'm going to throw in some Miami Vice, you know, I'm Don Johnson. Uh, look to all of a sudden being bald, that's where I see like that's more of like in the van because he is a very physically fit man and I can see with the 80s, like I said, this is still a pre-crisis Lex, but at the same time, it is going on at the 80s and there is 80s-isms built in. There's not like they're trying to make this show like set in the past. Like it's of the time as far as the decade it's being produced. So there is all this 80s-isms in there So he's a very pre-crisis representation of Lex set in the eighties. That makes sense.
0: That does make sense. And actually that's a, I think that's a pretty compelling argument and it's, it's, it works here in a way that it doesn't, I feel in adventure comics and then in in the super friends origin. and look, those are again, I aimed at an even younger audience and they're, I know they're very simple, but you know, I think you're right. I mean, here in the show and I didn't see the other, the other episodes, but it's like, yeah, even in this, you see him at the start of this. And if, if, if he is depicted in that way and you, you get the sense that his looks, you know, are, are part of how he defines himself, then, yeah, that major change, you know, probably would set him off. So, yeah, I think that probably does track better here than it does in the, again, in the Adventure Comics Super Friends version where he's farming and he loves Superboy and, you know, that the way yeah. that plays out there. I
1: mean, I'm going to throw this out there. I mean, you and I are both in our mid-30s and, you know, things start thinning. And Luckily me, like my brother's gone patchy almost bald in places and he's my younger brother by four years i still have hair and but it's you know it's receding and like i've always been very into my hair like i've always had thick longer hair like it's always been you know something i love and like i just kind of define me to the point now like when we record like because i'm wearing headphones like i wear my hat all the time for two reasons one because it looks better than having the headphones push my hair back making me look even like a big forehead and balder and two for the branding, you know, so you always see my logo. Um, So, and I'm not a vain person, like, but if there's anything that you could point that I have more vanity towards, like my wife will attest, like is more in my hair. Um, And like something I've had to deal with is like the slowly loss of it. You know, I just, I've had problems embracing that. So if you take that to someone who has a super ego, who prides themselves in their knowledge, their physical fitness, their, Prowless as a man like as a specimen of a man and then you take that like element i can see where that can be like a driving factor of anger and madness especially if he feels like it was a malice attempt uh on him
0: i i you know i i'm on board with that and we're talking about our own hair. I mean, I've mentioned this on shows I've, I've I've been going gray and it's something I'm dealing on the, on the sides mostly, but you know, you got more of the kingdom come, going. you know, like you're, you're you're the kingdom come Reed Richards
1: era. Like I'm starting to get the, it's (laughs) spreading everywhere. So,
0: gotcha. So, you know what I, I, I think what a lot of this comes down to what we, what we keep butting up against is, you know, the version of the character that that's so, so, you know, definitive to us. And I think specifically for me with Smallville, Feeling like we got such a compelling take on why these two guys ultimately end up at odds, and it, it, you know, was born out of you know Clark's you know inability to trust him and gaslighting him for all those seasons, and and I feel like it was you know very interesting and nuanced, and so to now look back at some of these stories and it's like oh I hate him because he's bald, it's like it 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 pales in comparison, but I'm going to take my own advice and appreciate like I said what what it you know this idea that it introduced right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think with with Scott's performance here and where we go here, and with Smallville, is this nice blending of pre and post crisis working to build to build a really compelling story of these characters. Um. So yeah, I mean, this episode it it, it is a good Superboy episode to see who these characters are, and it is Scott's last episode. Um, and John's last like, episode. Yeah, everyone changes, but Lana. And, you know, when we come back, we have, you know, we, we don't just change out. Like, TJ goes on to work for the Daily Planet, and we get a new Andy McAllister character. Um, and then John's Clark and then Gerard's Clark are different. You know, Gerard basically has more of the nerdy Clark side. And... I don't know which one I like better. I'm. We'll go. That's a different story. But, um, you know, we get to the next episode, and if, if that's yeah, where you want to go, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, well, so that's
0: the thing, right? Uh, you know, like you said, you know, TJ, he's written out. He, there's a line explaining that he went to work for the Daily Planet, like you said, and the Superboy actors are switched out, but there's no acknowledgement of that, right? We now just have yeah. Gerard Christopher taking over the role from John Newton, but in story, the 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 thrust of that beginning of season two is that lex has now undergone extensive plastic surgery
1: yeah and is and now when, played by
0: sherman howard
1: yeah it's it's interesting because the episode lex unleashed ends where he's like him and Lou, Leo. leo was it, was it, yeah leo leo i was like luo that's not right name leo um are like monks like you know hiding out or whatever and it's very kind of cheesy weird and then when this next episode picks up um you know he's he's bandaged. He looks like hush, you know, basically, <laughs> and he's talking, and his voice is different. And what's interesting is uh, we have this character, born Eckle Exworth Eckworth, who is Sherman Howard, who is a business mogul, who's a businessman, who likes uh, why him? I don't, I don't. Uh, his company's making a missile that they're testing with superboy and everything so Lex has the you know surgery to look like him and then Lex shows up and kills Warren and assumes his identity and there's lines where he talked about like he went from looking this way to now looking this way. He lost so many years of his life like he's you know and he's what I do want to say is Sherman howard if you listen, do you realize who Sherman Howard later plays?
0: I had looked him up on IMDb. He did right in Superman, the animated series, or
1: he, he does small voices. Uh, he did Steppenwolf in an episode, but he plays Derek powers in Batman beyond.
0: Oh, that's what it was.
1: And I'm like, that's such a proto like Lex for like Batman, you know? Um, and that's like listening because sherman how it's interesting because like you said we're in this pre-crisis but he assumes the role of this businessman so i was like okay so we're getting him to the post-crisis lex and what's interesting is Leo's there and then when he takes over he kills leo and i thought that was a big moment because it helped carry over and sell this character because leo was his wingman and then he's like no one can know the truth he kills Leo, but yet, yet he reveals himself, you know, in the episode as being Lex to Lana because he's still trying to get with Lana mm-hmm. coming over from that last episode. Um, But where is my I, I have this whole page I, of notes here uh, watching this episode. Um You know, he's psychotic crazed. Very 89 Joker is what I put in my notes is how Sherman Howard is doing his Lex. Without any kind of uh, like reasoning behind it, like, oh, I'm, you know, chemical from the gas or from the, the surgery or whatever. He's just lost his mind crazy.
0: Yes. So, one last thing I want to say about Luther Unleashed, the end of the season one episode. It, it was interesting. You mentioned how after Superboy saves Lex from the fire, right? Before Lex goes bald. And he expresses gratitude towards Superboy, and he's really kind of like turned over a new leaf, and And he asks Lana out on a date, and, you know, it quickly turns sour with, with Lex and Lana, and he hits her, but initially she is willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, and she seems to be at least somewhat reciprocating the feelings, which... Again, as someone who spent so much time with Smallville, and I was really not aware of other instances where Alex Lana pairing—well, I guess Superman the animated series for that one episode—but yeah, you know, I wasn't really aware of other instances where that was really even even played. So it was interesting to see that. So going to the Sherman Howard version, uh, the plastic surgery thing was funny. Uh, I mean, yes, he. he they explain a lot. I mean, he really talks about how he added 15 years, to, you know, in, in his appearance, and so he's like lost 15 years. And he used uh, acid on his vocal cords to lower his register, and he burned off his finger fingertips. Uh, I mean, do we get the sense that he did all of this to himself, or he, I mean, he must have hired a doctor at some point? But it all seemed to be done.
1: Yeah, like he, that's why I say like it also comes to me. To think he's like the 89 Joker of just like underground surgery
0: um yeah right exactly and 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 so he like you said and this was the thing that made me laugh he goes to all this trouble to become an entirely different person and he and he kills the real Eckworth and he could easily take over and like you said be that businessman like you're right I mean I thought the same thought It's like this could have been the connection point like this could have been the way into the post-crisis version like you gave us the pre-crisis we merge right into it good to go and he like almost instantly reveals himself to Lana and Superboy. It's like, what was the point of this?
1: Yeah. And it's like, you know, he gets into the company to get that missile that's supposed to kill Superboy and like, it, you know, and they're playing more with the power set, I feel of like, Golden Age Superman, you have the whole mortar shell can take him down because they, they increase the missile's power and it, is it in the first one? You know, he cripples Superboy. Cripples and like he's Superboy. In the, he's in the wheelchair, you know, but yeah, it just and when within the first episode, like by the end of it, he loses the whole Warren Eckworth, like it comes out, he's Lex Luthor, and he loses that whole like the money, the power. Like, so it was like, what was all that for? Like that that character change, like that big story change, because then even we get into the second episode and stuff, like he's not in it as much. Like it's hitting, it's sprinkled throughout, like. Uh, much like you said in those early comics he's not a staple character because I mean I just it was it's just it's just kind of interesting that they went there and they kind of it's like they did something like yeah let's pull it back you know Um,
0: yes and as far as the Sherman Howard performance and no disrespect but man I did not like his Lex did not work for me really at all it was I know I described the Lyle Talbot version as being flat but but I would take that over this any day. This was like you said crazed, maniacal and w- without any real uh, reason and it, it's funny it's like you know there it it lacked the charm of of Gene Hackman. It it wasn't necessarily sinister. I mean it just came off just as very over the top comical almost. It, it was not I did not find it effective at all. And he he never it's,
1: it's another one of those things, like I said, like, if you didn't tell me this was Lex Luthor, I would enjoy what Sherman Howard's doing. But as soon as you said, that's Lex. I'm like, oh, that's not Lex. That's no. And it's not even like the idea of like reinventing the character to fit that time, which they try to do with other iterations. It just was like, where is this coming from? Like, who who is this Lex for? Like, why? um you know and into the second episode he gets even more crazy i mean at you know the second episode he uh he has this new woman out of nowhere his darla it's his new woman his new right hand woman and uh he goes to the electric chair for his crimes and he slips a pill that gives him electrocution powers like
0: I actually have to say, though, and we talked about this in the in the prior episode, that is I I mean, I'm assuming that this was on purpose. There is a a Golden Age comic story called The Power Stone where he uh, creates this device and it allows him to uh, to absorb electricity and it gives him powers. And he in that Golden Age story is sentenced to die by the electric chair. and He survives it. So, you know, it was there was that moment of like, oh, that's cool. Like they took that from the comics, but I mean, it just, it's, it comes across as so silly. And the whole Darla thing, it's like, he brings her home to try to teach Lana. There, there was so, I mean, he tries to force Lana into marrying him. He, you know, he, he forces himself on her and kisses her. Like it's so, it's very off-putting just across the board.
1: He talks about when he was a kid, he broke puppies' necks. This, it doesn't seem like that's the same Lex that, that scott was like you know um so like i said and i mean the the the, the two episodes kind of blend together because they are like a two-parter and everything but it just made me feel like we were we were in the first part we were developing lex into this new character in the episode and by the end we have this different character, but it doesn't feel like lex it doesn't even feel like it's a it's a it's a young man okay like an 18 19 20 year old a college man Trying to fake and pretend to be an older person, um, it just it just he's like he's a psycho that lost everything. So I, I um, and then I know we're running long because we we are uh, we talked about dinosaurs and, <laughs> uh, you know we, we we could jump to the the third episode, the Mind Games, because what I found fascinating about this episode, it was written by Sherman Howard.
0: I noticed that as well. I was gonna say
1: yeah. Uh, um, so I found that interesting and the bottle nature bottle is usually an episode that's written that you don't have any guest stars you don't use any new sets it's very much like a lower budgeted episode for your season um you know it starts the episode starts with luther going into a mine with lana and um superboy chases him lex pulls kryptonite the mine caves in on him lana's trapped under a rock on the outside of the cave in lex and Superboy on the inside lex realized they're all going to die and has to try to you know hide the kryptonite or whatever to power up superboy enough to get them out and i find i find in this episode sherman howard's acting charming in the sense because he he does try to do a little bit more depth with the character um even at the end when he's escaping you know, he turns around, he pulls out the green rock, and he says, I'll probably hate myself for this. But he leaves the Kryptonite with Superboy and Lana and he leaves. Because he knows Superboy will get free, but he doesn't kill him when he has the chance. So I feel like there, there's some growth in the character there. Um ironically, it is a lead mind. Um, but you know, it there there's more depth that happens there, but at the same time, I never, I never feel like this is Lex Luthor. But even then, it's hard because the pre-crisis, I feel like there's so much unbalance you know, with, with who the character is. Because, I mean, Sherman never goes bald in what we watched. I think he does appear in season four. Um, just, so, yeah, it, it's it's weird because I feel like Sherman did a good job of acting. But think he wasn't Lex, even pre-crisis Lex. It's weird because it's like they they try to make him post, then pulled it back, and then just like just do your own thing, man. You know, because it, it's weird.
0: Yes, I think that's a fair a fair assessment. I of the I mean, ones we watched, I liked Mind Games the best, in part because it it called to mind the Smallville episode, but also because yeah, you got to see so much time. With the two of them together, and they're in this situation where they are forced to work together, where they otherwise never would, but they have to collaborate in order to get out. And you have, you know, it's brief, right? And they'll be at odds again in the future, but this brief moment of of understanding and cooperation. And so I thought that was interesting. But yeah, this this depiction is just not—it's just so off note
1: for me. It's it's the one episode that I would recommend. If someone's like, okay, what's Superboy like? And what's Lex and Superboy like? Just watch this episode. Yeah. get you'll get a good performance from Gerard you'll you'll sum up his character you'll feel the show out and you'll get to see what they did with Lex without you know having to spend a lot of time researching everything um you know if I had to rank my Lexes all of them I think Sherman would be on the bottom I kind of give Scott Wells just a tick up um but I think Sherman's a great actor I think what he like the acting wise was great but it's not the character even even the pre-crisis um version like is it's it's off so
0: you know it's it's not that you know so lex certainly has moments where he loses it and you know i'm thinking about like the superman batman public enemies arc where he like goes crazy at the end of that he's in the war suit again but it's like that's not his that's fueled by hit that's fueled by his kryptonite
1: like injections and everything right
0: so there's there's a there's a a a very tangible reason but also like that's not his default Right. right like he's pushed to that and so and so that's why like watching this like i said it just it felt off he would be at the at the very bottom of my list As well, as far as these pre-crisis iterations, Uh, again, I would probably put the animated ones up top, Hackman up top as well, though, really kind of in his own, (laughs) his own little category and then the Lyle Talbot again, I appreciate it for what it was, but that would still be pretty low for me.
1: I feel like Hackman and Sherman do share where they're both doing something that I I like, but I don't feel like it's the Lex character perfectly.
0: So you're more generous than I am. I with you on Hackman with Sherman. I don't, I don't even like it. As a different character, like I, I, just, I didn't, I didn't.
1: I try to put it me. where the show is in the yeah, style yeah. of the show. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it was in a different show, because there's, a, there's, there is a camp in a cheese to the Superboy show, and you do have the over the topness. And I think if you had watched more of it, maybe you'd appreciate it a little bit more. And I'm, I'm nowhere near um, with my Superboy knowledge, but it's just you. It has its own flavor to it. So, I mean, I can enjoy it for what it is.
0: That's what I was going... Now, that's a fair point. I was going to say that, you know, I watch these in a vacuum. So, if and when the time comes and I'm watching, you know, the whole series and I'm going through and I hit these Lex episodes, now viewing them in the context of of the overall series, I I might feel differently. I might. I always keep an open mind. So, uh, we'll see. you, you, You can't
1: help but, like, keep an open mind. I mean, but as we get to the end here, in Lex Luthor, period just the character in live action. Who's your favorite? Oh, it's Rosenbaum.
0: See, I have a Rosenbaum crier battle. So I'm going to talk about both of them in, I figure you will. I just just wanted to ask. No, no, no. So I have, I bring that up to say like, I haven't, you know, I'll, I'll flesh this out more when, when we get to part three of this, but crier, I was very pleasantly surprised by Cryer. I had exceedingly low expectations going. And I was not as open minded as I should have been. I watched twelve seasons of Two and a Half Men and I was like, nah, he's not Lex. And and I was very pleasantly surprised. I thought he did a very, very solid job, but he still does not usurp Rosenbaum uh for,
1: for I, me. My my uh the way I look at it is I put him on the on a timeline together. Rosenbaum is here and then he eventually evolves into Cryer. Because the, like if you look at the history of the character, Crier's Lex is like the farthest we've ever seen Lex in live action. Like usually when we see him, it's his rise to being a supervillain. But you know this one starts; he's in jail. Superman's put him in jail. They have a whole history that we're not privy to. So I always look at it as like Rosenbaum's the origin into kind of Crier. That's my head like not a cam, but just kind of looking at the character development. Right That's post crisis. That's another episode you have coming.
0: We'll, we'll get there. Listen, thank you very much for joining me on this pre crisis Lex and other media journey. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh uh, no, thank you. It's been great. My wife's probably like, uh, is my husband ever coming home? And she's in the other room. She's like, well, what's he doing in there? What are they talking about for all this time? <laughs> nah, she she knows. She's like, she knows how it is. She's like. So,
0: well, thank, thank her for me. I I appreciate your time and I hope everyone will check out the Krypton report podcast available on, on all podcast platforms. Is there anything else that you want to, you want to tease or plug?
1: Oh man. No, but I do want to tell you some cool stuff off Mike.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I look forward to that. Well, thank you again, Tyler. Thank you audience. Always appreciate you tuning in. Make sure that you come back next week for part two where we will look at the post-crisis 90s evil businessman version of Lex Luthor. So we'll be back next week with that. Until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. The spin-off podcast, Digging for Justice, a DC fan journey, is available now exclusively at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato, starting at the $1 level. New episodes release monthly, and many more rewards are available too, including a robust back catalog of bonus podcasts. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.